0: Welcome back to Silver on the Sage podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Lowe, and this is episode 11. And in this episode, we get to talk to Sarah Burgess, also known as Sustaina Burgess by many. (laughs) Um, Sarah worked at the ranch for quite a while. So let's start with her time as a participant. In 2001, Sarah was a participant on rocks. And then in 2002, she was a participant on Rayado. In 2003 and 2004, she was a ranger, 2005 ranger trainer, 2006 Rayado trek coordinator. In 2007, 2008, and 2009, Sarah was the associate chief ranger. And then she jumped over to the conservation department where in 2010 and 2011, Sarah was the sustainability specialist. In 2013 and 2014, she was the STEM coordinator. And in 2015 and 2016, Sarah was the associate director of conservation um, doing environmental education. Sarah also worked um, a fall season in 2008 as a guide and two fall seasons in 2014 and 2015 in the conservation department. Needless to say, Sarah has made a big impact um, for many individuals and for the land of Philmont. Um, And so I'm going to go ahead and kick off this episode. It is awesome and so good to have her on the show.
1: Hey, Sarah, how's it going? Hey, Caitlin, I'm doing great. How are you doing?
0: Really good today. It's a beautiful Saturday morning. I'm excited to be recording again. So, and it's it's really special to be recording with you just because I know a lot of people um, know you, um, have been inspired by you. And so I, I have a feeling quite a few folks will be tuning into this episode. Okay. So thanks for accepting the
1: invite and being here this morning. Oh, thank you so much. I uh, was so stoked to see you push the project out. And I remember a little bit of teaser here and there in in chat that you shared with me, but um, I'm so happy to see it come to life. I'm just such a big fan of anything Philmont can help people bring out in a passion that is theirs. And so this podcast is rocking and all your guests have been so interesting. And I'm humbled to be included. So hopefully I can tell some entertaining things today or shed some light on some things. And oh, yeah. uh yeah, and I'm coming from California. I live in Southern California now in Costa Mesa.
0: Awesome. Beautiful. I'll have to get out there um soon. My sister Claire um is is now back in Santa Barbara, California. So she's out there too. So
1: yeah, I've been in contact with her that we need to get our dogs and ourselves together. So yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Awesome, awesome. Well, let's just kick it off. Um, we can start at the very beginning, like we do, with um, just your story about how your life led you to Philmont.
1: Absolutely, it's one of, still one of the most special parts about how I got to the ranch. It has to do with my brother, Paul Burgess. Um, I'll I'll get to him more later, um, and uh, yeah. he he came to the ranch um, on a on a Ray auto trek And then he began working there and he was the catalyst for getting me first involved in scouting, getting me to sign up for venturing, join his crew that was down in Houston where he was going to school at the time. And so he told me I should join venturing and I should do some things with them and I should do all that so that I could go to Philmont. That was always the end goal. And so I still remember my very first introduction to backpacking was with Paul and a good friend of his, ours now, Sean McKnight, and then several other folks. And it was over a winter break, New Year's, in we went to Big Bend National Park. And so it was pretty cold temperatures. Gets pretty chilly out there in the desert. Um, and this was over New Year's Eve one year. And this was all designed so that Paul and uh, his buddy, Sean, and the other couple folks could get together since working at Philmont together the previous summer. So Paul kind of was the first person in my life that I saw getting Philmont people together outside of the summer. And we all went on the backpacking trip into Big Bend. That was my first trip. And it was kind of awful for me. It was freezing. I didn't have great gear. It had a lot of stuff Paul loaned me. We couldn't pitch our tent one night because the ground was frozen and we didn't have a freestanding tent. So we wrapped ourselves up in these burritos and you know, oh, couldn't sleep and woke up with <laughs> frost. And there was yeah. these tails of these javelina, these wild pigs that we kept seeing or rustling. And I was terrified of those. And then I fell at a cactus. I twisted my ankle. like Very classic you just had a really terrible first experience. And I remember Sean and, and Paul, but mostly Sean kind of telling me, oh, don't worry, Sarah. Philmont's way easier than this. This is really extreme. <laughs> there's signs everywhere at Philmont. You don't get lost in Philmont. Uh, there's lots of people at Philmont. And so I, I came off of that trip definitely feeling stronger as a 16-year-old, but a little bit wary and signed up for rocks. And that was, um, that was the beginning of of all of it. I signed up for rocks for 2001, came out to Philmont and was able to do rocks and then auto the next year. And as soon as I was old enough to work there, I, I did and stayed there pretty much up until the few years, a few years ago, I stayed there ever since.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's really fun. I, um, know a little bit about your brother, just the stuff you've told me in passing, but so did you guys, um, get to work together at all at Philmont? Was he there when you were there?
1: We did. That was uh, very special. So the first two years he worked there were my Trek years. So not working together, but a, a cool overlap. Um, my my photo that you'll share for my episode is a picture of Paul and I when about to leave on Riado Trek. And so um, I'm obviously not in uniform as the participant and Paul is in uniform and he was a ranger in the same session that I was a participant. So that was really special as well. And um, so then I started working there in 2003 and Paul didn't work there after 2002 until... summer right before 2014. So it had been quite some time for him, but he had been vicariously keeping up with my Philmont years and cheering me on and always coming out to visit. Paul's a big fly fisherman. So fishing the Cimarron Canyon is is near and dear to his heart. And so he would come out any chance he could get to join my parents on a trip or to see me or to stop over um, through geology field trips he had in the area too. And so I did convince him in 2014. He was kind of a lull in between things out here in Los Angeles. And I said, Paul, you should come work at Philmont again. And he was like, oh, well, you know, would I be a ranger? That might be weird because those were the positions he had before. And I was like, no, don't be a ranger. You know, you've done that, but you're a geologist. Like, I think you should go work at a geology camp. And so Powers came to be, had some conversations, and his application went through and he got selected to go work at French Henry. And I think, um, he's, he's talked about it a lot to me over the course of time that's passed, but that was, uh, definitely a pivotal moment for his life. And it was really special for both of our lives just to work there at the same time. I was with him when he climbed Baldy for the first time. Um, and uh, he, that mountain kind of thwarted him the times he tried and his staff years to climb it, so he never actually got on top of it. Um, plus, his year on Rayado, uh, he did not get to climb it um, because of fires at the time. Um, he was on Rayado as a participant during 2000. So we got on Baldy on top on top of Baldy together for the first time for him, and that was really cool. And uh, I know he really enjoyed all of his staff members at. French Henry and had a great time there. And uh, yeah, just still knows speaks so highly of of his summer there because it was this gap of time where he really had so much time to appreciate it and then to come back when he was at such a different stage in his life.
0: Yeah. I I have all three of my sisters and I have worked at Philmont and it's really special to share it with a family member. It's a unique dynamic because you kind of You go out to Philmont, um, you know, sometimes you go out to Philmont with nobody knowing who you are, right? Mm -hmm. And so you you kind of get to find yourself again or uh, be maybe a more authentic version of yourself. And then if your sibling's with you, it's it's a unique dynamic to kind of juggle those two, bounce off each other, and just have a, a comfort as well, like a family comfort comfort um so it's been really fun to share Philmont with my family actually the only person who hasn't gone to Philmont is my mom (laughs) and I (laughs) I keep telling her like you should apply and be a cook one summer just to just to go out and and do it but um so so um was your was Royato and rocks as a participant was it easier than your first camp out with with Sean and Paul (laughs)
1: it was uh it was and it wasn't it was helpful to be surrounded by all strong women you know strong teenager women next to me and teenage girls next to me but also our um instructors and our rangers on each trek and I still keep in touch with a couple a couple ladies from those youth days of trekking um one friend of mine Steph Rogers we shared a tent on Riotto and we shared a tent all of our time as Rangers and, you know, I still um, see her and keep up with her family whenever I can. And it's just such a um, great bond to have with people. But I would say the Treks themselves were hard in their own regard. I have, um, I don't have, I, I looked around when you asked me to be on the podcast, my journals from that time, I, I wasn't a great journaler, still, still kind of try to be a good journaler but uh it's a it's a skill I'm working on (laughs) but as a youth I kind of did hurried entries just to have it down and I'm glad I did that but I should have done more when I was on a trek to write down what was what was happening for me as a as a young person so I have some specific memories but one of them was of course like trudging along classic like blisters in your new boots and you're just trying to suck it up and you're not telling anyone but you're just crying and hiking and in pain and you just want to be at camp and we were about to come into fish camp and it was a late hike and we were getting there you know as dark was descending and uh, we were all together as a I think this was with my I believe it was with my reato crew um, with rocks I will say with rocks, the interesting thing that made the trek really cool and and looking back, it did make it easy for sure, is that at that time of rocks programming, we followed a week of hiking, a week of work in one place, and then a week of more hiking versus what the program evolved into, which was continuous hiking and working. And you didn't spend a week at a... um, at a spike camp. So I did get to see the whole ranch on my first year. We got a bus up to the Valle in 2001 to start rocks. We started yeah. there, we hiked south, saw the north country, worked at Dean Cal for a full week, and then got another bus from Dean Cal area down to the south country. So my memories are muddled over which trek I spent at which South Country camp because yeah. I did get to them on both years. But we were hiking into Fish Camp, and I believe it was Rayado, and uh, my rangers just kind of knew knew what was going on for me, and they sat me down later and they were like, "Why didn't you say anything, Sarah?" And I was like, "I don't know. Everyone's miserable. <laughs> like, I'm not special." And they just said, "You got to tell people when you're hurting. You know, you got to let us know." And um, so we we did some. They did some fancy um, I camping and help from the coordinators at the time to get me some different shoes to wear because the boots I had were just not going to hack it. So I don't even remember what I ended up wearing, but I think I had like low hikers in the locker or something or tennis shoes maybe or something. So, um, yeah, that's what I remember about those treks, but I will say, uh, it, it all, it still makes me chuckle that comment about, you know, Philmont's way easier than this because in hindsight, It definitely can be, you know, you've got food pickups at Philmont, you've got water sources, you've got people to turn to, to get help. You've got a protocol that you get taught by a great ranger department to teach you what to do if you do get lost or if you do have an emergency. And so I'm really grateful to have that foundation. And, uh, I don't think I could have had the same, I don't think I could have been convinced to go to Philmont after that trek in Big Bend had I not been with my brother and his friends who knew all about Philmont. Uh, So I trusted them and I'm glad I did.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I feel like I'm continuing to learn about the special treks even to this day, because when I was on staff, I didn't really know much about them. Um, Yeah. And I just think they're really wicked cool. and <laughs> uh, <Yeah. laughs> any t- Anytime I, I see a young person that is showing interest in the outdoors or conservation or, or or even like, you know, the ranch hands program, I'm always just like, check this out, check this out. Cause I just want to feed it to them. Uh, so that's awesome. You got to do two special treks, you know, as a participant and, um, and then you went on, and and you were in the ranger department for a very long time, which I didn't realize. in In, in my memory of meeting Sarah Burgess, it's <laughs> mostly related to sustainability and cons. Um, do you want to share a little bit about that? Maybe um, just kind of the perspective, a job perspective um, that
1: you had working as a ranger. Yeah, um, I uh, I love that I started in the ranger department, and for a time, I thought that would that would be the only department I worked in. And um, I'll get to conservation and how I was fortunate enough to work in that department a little later. But in the ranger department, um, it was the place where I truly learned my love and passion for being an experiential educator, um, for being an instructor outside, for getting paid to work outside. I mean, that first summer that I had that job, I came back from it and thought, Oh my god, I got paid to work outside all summer. Well, this is great. And then time went on and I graduated college and I thought I don't want to give that up and I it really helped shape who I became in my life, which is finding jobs to line up with my enthusiasm for teaching people, for being outside, and the cherry on top was getting paid, you know. So, um <laughs> having that all pan out and and people used to say to me when they um and, and kind of still do. And when we talk about how long I might have worked at the ranch, they say, oh, you're so lucky. And I say, yeah, but it took a lot of planning. I'm, I feel fortunate and privileged that I was able to be in a position where I could plan for that. And I, I did have independence and I had supportive family members and I did have the privilege of, you know, easy you know, low, low burden for, I didn't take out loans in college and I had scholarships and grants and I worked hard for those. But I I had, had the privilege to plan for many, many years at Philmont and it was a plan. It wasn't just me lucking into it. And so I understand what, what people mean when they say you're so lucky. Um, but I think above all the luck, I feel fortunate at, at the end of the day, always. So the ranger department was um, where I learned to you know, honed in a lot of my public speaking skills and built on what I did in high school with debate team and just learned to talk to a variety of people, learned to deliver humorous lessons, learned to have a good time. Um, And it was a great time. Some of my best friends from the ranch, um, Judd Walker, Chris Sawyer, Chris Sawyer's knew me as 16, 17 year old Sarah. So that would be a funny conversation if anybody else ever got to hear it one day. Um, (laughs) And, uh, you know, Josh Gaiman, um, Mike Wagner, these people that knew me as young Sarah, formative years, Sarah in the ranger department, um, they all mean so much to me because we still keep in touch and you can, I still have good contact with a lot of people. And and that was something that working there in those first few years taught me as well was keeping up with people after you're not together anymore. is not that hard. And when I started at the ranch, I remember I would, use the payphone outside the ranger office a yeah, <laughs> couple, yeah. couple times a month, check in with my friends back in college, check in with my family a little bit more than that. But, um, it was just nice to be surrounded by people who were your family just as instantly as you met them. And, uh, and still, I get a, I get a kick out of my friends meeting one another because my years run together so much. I'm constantly talking about somebody as if they've already met them and they'll remind me, Sarah, I've never met that person. But I know about them because you talk about them. <laughs> so when it happens and people bump into each other and they know me from Philmont, I love it because it's either me strategically telling them, you should go find this person who's in Winter Park right now and they worked at Philmont and you worked at Philmont and I know both of you and love you both. So go hang out together. Or if it's just a random run-in, like I found out the other day that uh, friends um, had run into each other in Pagosa Springs. And so (laughs) that was cool to find out. Um, So yeah, in the ranger department, my um, jobs were varied and I felt really fortunate again to be given the the Important responsibility to lead the Rayado truck, and um, and I had a great partner, Josh Baker, and we had some great times, had some good soundtracks, and I would say that first year of having driving privileges was fun, and I took it seriously, and I I was always very careful in Philmont Suburbans and trucks, um, and. Uh, I think that those are just times that stick out to me of, you know, the the people I was with and what I was doing, where we were going. And I will say one aspect of the ranger department, uh, my time there directly flows into some of the most difficult times at the ranch, which was um, preparing for and, and serving on search and rescues. And I'm so um, grateful. I, I feel that grateful and fortunate are these words I keep using, but I, I just struggle to find another one. But gratefulness is what I do have for all the time and resources and trust that we get as young leaders there and the training that we're given and the training we pass on to each other and then the very real life changing moments that happen when you're assisting in a medical emergency and when you're responsible for logistics of the map reading and you're responsible for the route and you're moving boulders and you're guiding a litter team and um those memories will stay with me for a long time. And when I'm hiking with friends even now, you know, they'll, they'll know my background a little bit. Oh, Sarah's a Boy Scout or Sarah worked at Boy Scout camp. I don't go into a lot of depth. You know, you don't want to freak people out when they're out there hiking maybe for the first time about like yeah. I could see a litter going you know, being really difficult on this landscape or this would be a great trail for a wheel to go on. You know, you don't talk about that in mixed company. It's just not really going to go over well. <laughs> but um, those times on search and rescues, especially one in particular sticks out to me when um, there was a lightning strike on the side of Baldy and a young person at the time um, was receiving CPR from staff members and we were driving out and it was just total science, s- silence in the truck um usually in the trucks on the way out to SARS you know there was music playing people were kind of getting in the zone always when we stepped out of the vehicle no matter what was happening before we got there it was professionalism and it was our jobs as ranger leadership to make sure people were sticking to that because it wasn't a time for playfulness once you got to work but that that drive from base all the way out to Baldy Town was just so um it was so silent and I'll always remember that because we were just listening for the radio updates. Obviously nobody else was on the radio at the time and you're just not sure what you're going to see. And, and I can't remember if it was a time before that, or it it must've been a time before that. uh, But helping a, a, a ranger at the time who had been on a litter carry of a person who had passed away and just trying to help counsel them and trying to, you know, help them sit with it. And yeah, there's just, is that so yeah, go ahead.
0: I was just going to say, um, it, I, um, okay. So in the ranger department, correct me if I'm wrong, the ranger leadership are the people who are trained for and called upon to to run Philmont Search and Rescues. Is that correct? Along with other Health Lodge staff?
1: Yeah, I would describe it. You know, my time there, my experience is that the ranger department has the the breadth and depth of resources in terms of, of knowing how to use the gear and trained people, number of people to use the gear as well. And um, even from early times in the ranger department, I remember... Where the SAR room used to be was right behind the conservation department next to it. And so I I also remember way back conservation department members joining us at times on SARs. And I know that that always was a close relationship, especially if you're going somewhere where more hands were needed or chainsaws or more equipment for clearing things was needed. Um, I also remember traveling off ranch, getting called up through um, Nate. Uh, would be in contact with the state of New Mexico and they would turn to Philmont for again trained resources and people to come and help and drive and go on searches and um, across the state even outside of Philmont boundaries. And so I guess um, that's how I would summarize it. I don't I don't know I, I do know that um, you know operationally, there was a chain of command that was also something that I was very glad to learn about at Philmont in terms of a crisis or, or an emergency. There was a clear chain of command, and I could see people sometimes, it, it didn't matter if their title or their seniority was a certain thing, if they didn't have that position in the chain of command to be the OC, um, the operations commander, or to be the operations leader, if If they weren't the voice at the top of the litter carry for being a team leader, it didn't even matter if they were chief ranger, they weren't talking because they were part of the litter and that was falling into what was going to best serve the goal, which was to get a person out safely and not only to get a person strapped into a litter out safely, but all the other people around that because we were constantly assessing and, and trying to mitigate risk, move that rock, give that direction over that boulder. Go across, you know, down and through a stream, get people wet up to their ankles, but versus trying to tiptoe around the edge of a stream crossing on a bridge and possibly have more injuries if people fell in. So, um, yeah, that's how I would um, summarize. Lots of resources used beyond people and tr- and training in the ranger department, but ranger rangers in the department, you know the. 150 200 more recent years in the department receiving that training each summer and getting refreshed on it throughout a summer was always a, a very high priority so
0: yeah it's really um, unique for me to learn about because as a as mostly a backcountry staff member I remember going on you know hasties um, just in and around camp or our area of responsibility um, But that's something that I never knew much about or got to, I never obviously went on a search and rescue, but um, I think it's really amazing, like you just described, to see the different departments come together to get that person to safety and with such um, like respect and responsibility, um, just as you described, you know, I think you said the second you step out of the vehicle, like it's, you're working, it's, you know it's very serious um, and those things do happen at Philmont and they probably, you know they always will happen at Philmont because you're in the hands of mother nature uh, but as a as a parent now like talking about like how Paul got to your brother got to go to Philmont and then have that gap year of wisdom and then come back um, I think about that often as a parent now like how trusting um I, I would feel and do feel you know if my kids were the ones on the trail or my kids were the ones on the side
1: of the mountain. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I have a, um, I want to give a quick shout out to logistics, always logistics. They um, certainly spend a lot of time fielding phone calls just as that, that you described, you know, people needing to know or wanting, wanting to know, or or having, you know, having a family emergency back home and they just need to figure out actual logistics of between Philmont and where somebody is and do they tell their loved one or do they wait till they're off the trail? Do they make these decisions about what do you need to know at the time you need to know it? Does a chaplain drive out? Um, And so just so many pieces of how there's so much joy at Philmont and there's also so much that can be so painful and challenging that is beyond the surface. And I think that the way that all the staff and all positions. And I could just see so many, so many things that stick out to me are about the ways that there was, there was never any ego involved. And I think that that's certainly something I always, the people I admire most from Philmont and the people who've stuck with me in my memories and the, um, the experiences that remain close to my heart involve it always comes back to that. It, it, you know, that, that first motto that I live by my, my seasons of humble pride, I carried that even after I left the ranger department formally and worked in a different one. And I still have it in my life. There's just so much that is done by every single person at the ranch, from the greeter at the welcome center to, you know, and they've been on some, I couldn't imagine that job sometimes. I was like, how do they stand staying up all night and sleeping during the day or getting rest. Right. And I yeah. i had a lot of energy at Philmont, but I just felt like that was not a position I could have thrived in because like all the hot chocolate in the world couldn't have helped me, you know, <laughs> stay up and be on those shifts and, and still have the level of enthusiasm. I saw so many having, um, you know, and, and folks in base camp and positions in base camp and people I meet, they're stoked about their position in base camp because they have great days off schedule. And uh, yeah, it's, um, it's definitely something that was important to me was trying to make sure that I could be an includer as I saw other people being an includer. Um, and one of the things that stood out to me that I have spent more time in recent life reflecting on is is the the catch-22 behind the, I'm sure you got this question. I'm sure we've both asked it to people at the time we worked there, but it's this catch-22 of when you meet somebody and you at at Philmont, it's the first time you're meeting them or it's the beginning of the summer and you're, okay, what's your name? Okay, you have your name tag on. So if you're quick on the go, you're like, hey, Caitlin, how's it going? they're like, how do you know my name? And you're like, oh, you have a name tag on, obviously. (laughs) You're wearing it in the right place. I can see your name tag on your left lapel or wherever it is (laughs) clipped on. And then the second question, right after that, that I used to just cringe at was, How many, um, what summer is this for you? And I just, it made me cringe. And this is why it's catch 22 because I know the eagerness and I know the yearning of like, How can we connect? Like, are we in the same department? Do we have overlap? Do you know somebody that I know? Do you have, are you, did you work at a camp that is my absolute favorite camp? So I know that people weren't asking it in like a malicious way, but it did make me cringe after a lot of time spent there because it just felt like such a placer. Like I need to know if this is your first summer or if you're a veteran, like, are you like me or do you have multiple name tags on your name tag holder? It's just, (laughs) I think that that's why it's so important that the memories that stick out to me don't have anything to do with ego because that, that is a little bit of ego of people seeing. And I did it too. I did it at times to say like, Oh, you know, how many years have you worked here? It just comes up in conversation, but It's one of those things that specifically sticks out to me. And now in terms of life outside of Philmont, I I always think about it too. When you're at a social gathering, you know, when we can do those in large masses again with people you don't know in your household yet. Um, I look forward to that day soon this year, hopefully. But when you're at a party and people say, oh yeah, what's your name? Where do you live? What do you do for work? And it's this question that is eager and earnest and genuine, but it's also trying to define you by that. And I've spent a lot of time reflecting on that in my life. And I've been so um, glad to have work that complements the person I am and have built me into the person that I'm still becoming. However, it's not its not that I'm just my job. It's not that I'm just my work. And um, in broader conversations in the world, as we've all been possibly been having a lot more of in the last year or two. Um, it's so important to just make sure that questions of people you're getting to know is as inclusive as possible. And so, yeah. Sorry, that might have yeah. been a little rabbit trail, but <laughs> I had some thoughts about different things tied in there.
0: Yeah, I like it. I I kind of like to call that um, like. Your advisor's coffee conversation, like in the backcountry during advisor's coffee, when you're yeah. out there chatting with the advisors, it's always they always wanted to say, like, where are you from? What are you majoring in in college? Um, yeah. those, so it was yeah. always. And like you said, it's <laughs> it's eager and it's enthusiastic, but it does um, it's surface to an extent, you know, so um, mm-hmm. I feel that I I really do. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, is there. Yeah, I, I got, I mean, I, I know you probably have so many different stories about working in the ranger department. Was there a, and was it an easy shift into conservation and sustainability for you or did, because I mean, did they kind of go hand in hand in in different
1: ways? Yeah. So um, after I, I'd spent three seasons as a ACR in the ranger department and I felt that that was enough time. I really, I knew and I trained people and I knew there were people who should be in ACR um, beyond me. And I wanted that to happen for them. and, And I also needed a change of pace. So I don't (laughs) don't mean to make myself as a martyr by any reasons, but those two things were top of mind for me. I was thinking, you know, three years is long enough to be an ACR and, uh, chief ranger wasn't something that was in the picture for me and I wanted to change the pace. And so I was really, um, really glad to go to conservation. I had a few people, um, I knew, by name, by face, really, from bumping into each other before it was time for SARS. Um, Honestly, I I knew John Sully. I knew uh, Rick Smith. I knew a a handful of other folks in the conservation department by the time, by the year that I changed over. And um, I wanted to do something different. and, And the sustainability position had been pretty new. I think it started in 2008. Uh, I think there were a couple people that had it before me. I know Jessie Wirtz was the first con- the first conservation uh, sustainability specialist and uh she makes wonderful pottery and lives back in New Mexico on a farmstead with goats. So oh my you gosh. all definitely check out Jessie Wertz Ceramics. That's my first yeah. official shout out um, okay. of the podcast. Uh yeah. and um and then there was a person called uh Billy and i can't remember his last name but he came, he was sustainability in 2009 so one of the funny things about the entrance to conservation and a new department in 2010 is that one thing was that i couldn't get there until the end of may so i didn't make it in time for staff banquet or any of like the pre you know the weeks leading up to conservation leadership gathering and training i had another job at the time on catalina island and i couldn't make it until i think i got there may 31st they had uh, welcomed me, so to say, and decided that they were going to, they called the person before, the year before, sustainability, because his name was Billy. Okay. And so <laughs> somebody spent some time, I think Seth Mangini was part of this. I'll have to ask him later after this podcast, but somebody had decided that. Sustaina Burgess had a good ring to it, so they went with <laughs> Sustaina Burgess, and that just became how it was known. I mean, I think Jada and you—the first time we lived together, you guys were like, "Yeah, sustainable Burgess." And then I went and met CDs at the CD meeting, talk about recycling. Sustain—this is Sustaina Burgess, and so that I still love because um, somebody who was my boss beyond Philmont years, he found that he g- got that story from me, and he said, "Oh yeah, I'm totally only going to call you Sustaina Burgess now because sustainability." is very much part of my life ever and always has been even before I had that position at Philmont. So um, that was a great entry is coming into a new family. And, uh, you know, those folks that I knew before I got to the department, like John, still very near and dear close friends today and really grateful for that. Um, Randa, I also had a special connection with. She wasn't working in the conservation department when I started there, but she and I had met Way back when I was a Rayado ranger, she was uh, helpful to me in my quest at some point of um, observing my crew from a distance, we'll say. And uh, she worked at Sealy Canyon, and uh, we have a, a good memory and good story about that. So, yeah, so leaving ranger department was not hard in the sense that, you know, it was just over there. I would go to ranger meetings actually a lot and give announcements about recycling. (laughs) (laughs) I would get ranger work days to help me with different things. And so I really tried hard to kind of see which ways I could continue to um, build bridges and information share between, between folks. And um, yeah, and I loved coming into the conservation department and really full fledged adopting another motto that would live and still does side by side with humble pride from Ranger department is um, with right comes responsibility is the conservation department's, you know, official, unofficial motto, and we've got it on stuff. So it's official enough. I've got a vest on right now that has it um, as part of our um, emblem. So the work that I did uh, in the Ranger department was really formative for me, but the work that I did, in the conservation department was formative and lasting in my life in a in a different and e- and equal way. Um, so I can't really put one department over the other. I'll I can just say that the experiences I got from each and from working in multiple programs, starting you know helping helping to be more catalyst of building foundations, stronger foundations for the sustainability program. And then beginning the foundations of the STEM education program, those were really special times. They were really hard. And I think in the moment or after the moment has passed, you you appreciate more about them. But when you're dumpster diving for recycling after you only just ask people to just please sort it when they saw it going in a bin, you know, you get a little salty. But it was also pretty funny because I was thinking to myself, wow. dumpster diving for trash for my job and I still love it. So there's got to be something good behind that.
0: <laughs> yeah. And you, um, your degree, let's see ocean and coastal resources, right? That's what your yeah, degree is yeah. in. And then I know you've been a longtime lover of just, uh, marine biology and the ocean. And, um, so would you say that sustainability and conservation has always kind of been a part of of who you are even as a young adult and then you know did working in conservation just kind of match that nicely
1: yeah i would definitely agree with that um going part of the reason of going on rocks and and being interested in those subjects as a young person excuse me was was certainly part of me growing up, I wanted to study marine biology in college. I I did begin studying that at Texas A&M, Galveston, Gigum, Sea Aggies, class of (laughs) 06. If anyone out there is listening, I think there was some, uh, it was always a special time. I think I overlapped in person with two to three people that went to the same college as me and it's not a big college it's not main campus texas a and m so finding another sea aggie at philmont was very special times um so yeah i studied marine science and and changed over to that final degree program and graduated with ocean and coastal resources but the there um that quote i i think it's contributed to um baba ganem i don't know if i'm saying it right but it was uh To, uh, I'm terrible at remembering quotes verbatim, but in essence, the quote was, uh, is about uh, conserving what you know, and in order to know some, or or conserving what you love, and in order to love something, you have to know it, and in order to know it, you have to be taught it. So that really summed up a lot about why I was choosing the jobs I was choosing for much of my life. And then even beyond Philmont, planning to go back to Philmont meant I was also carefully selecting other jobs seasonally to line up with teaching and being outside, and um, yeah, and making sure that those forces could all come together. So I, I spent about 12 years as a experiential educator and included grant writing and working with technology science programs, um, working for another great Phil Alumni. Dr. Robert Justin Huffham of the University of Wisconsin-Madison, our extension. And uh, yeah, just these people who going away from Philmont to get a seasonal job with another person who used to work at Philmont was just the best. Yeah. <laughs> <because> yeah. <laughs> you just spent so much time just having ridiculously good times of stories and throwbacks. And, you know, and, and then more so for me, it was always going to see somebody who hadn't worked there in quite some time and so they you know they oh tell me about this or like how did this pan out or does this person yeah. still work there yeah and so um, just such good times and I, I love that you and Jimmy are all about having people come through and visit you and talk talk with you and be around your wonderful kids mm-hmm. and uh, it's just such a cool thing to see how that legacy and the formula form, formative relationships you know the people part of Philmont is what we always all agree on, whether you're a participant or a staff member there. And um, that sense of place, of being in a place that can help you feel that way and to want to love it and to know it and to protect it and to conserve it and to do what's best for it always, that is that is how I would sum up everything for me about philmont
0: Yeah. I Speaking of the people in the place, um, were there any um, maybe... What, what about meaningful de- uh, department traditions like um, oh, that you yeah. got to be a part of? Whether, yeah. Yeah,
1: that's a great one. I made a couple notes on that. Um, it was definitely doing banquets at the Ranger department, especially Ranger Rendezvous, getting uh, steaks marinated and sides made, and then Elder Wilson or others coming up in mass to grill with you at Bobien. And serving the meal on time for the first time in a very long time. I was very proud of that. I think that happened in 2008 or nine. It might have been my second year doing banquets as an ACR. But um, yeah, if you want a recipe for 200 people for salsa, homemade salsa, sweet tea, or marinade for steak, like Ranger Department recipe book is is your place. I know I wrote those down in a final report. So I, I would love it if they're still used making sweet tea on whisper light stoves in the chapel of the ranger office is a very special memory because you'd think you were going to have to do all this by yourself but then slowly but surely people come out of the woodwork and they'd say oh you need help with the banquet and it's because they want to attend the banquet and that's cool <laughs> but yes you can help you can attend and i need you to make you know 5 gallons of sweet tea concentrate right now <laughs> um <laughs> And, uh, yeah, and then another special memory from conservation was, again, a time beginning at the – and I, I found there was sweet overlap here between both Ranger Rendezvous being at the beginning of a summer and the really championing what you just learned, coming together as your training crew, getting excited for the first cruise less than a few days away. But the other memory that sticks out for me in conservation – is all conservation, all cons, as it's lovingly referred to. And this is a time period where the whole conservation department, which in rec- well in my time there, we were running about 90 to a hundred people total for the conservation department. Um, and uh, we would meet at a predetermined we would go to a predetermined spot to usually like, start, finish and complete a whole trail project um or maintain at you know add some serious maintenance and really level up a trail. Um I remember working in the north country, working at CETA was one of my last years. Um and that was really beautiful was building trail from we we all camped in the meadows above CETA and uh, woke up every morning at dawn. There was classically a chainsaw alarm clock. That's a tradition I think might still be happening. Rive up the chainsaw. First year conservation staff do not know what to expect after they leave their tents, but it's all in good faith to get up, get your coffee, get your tea, drink some water and uh, start getting stoked for the day. So (laughs) at all cons, I would say also, I want to give a special shout out to the times we live in now. We were way ahead of the curve of trying to prevent any germs contamination to one another because you're in such close quarters on those training, um, conservation projects. You're, you know, you're sharing a tent with at least one person. You're in your small unit. You're having meal breaks together. You're handing tools back and forth. You're wearing gloves. So, but you know, you're sweating, you're crying, you're bleeding. You're (laughs) it's a lot going on at all cons. Uh, but it's beautiful thing. And everyone is just so excited and, we had no touching rules. So you would hear people yelling out, especially around meal times, like no touching. Um, and it was just a loving reminder. It would start in base camp at our all conservation training sessions in base camp. Like we do not need to get each other sick because we have a really important work to do. And it starts with this, you know, this four day, five day backcountry uh, project with the whole department. So elbow bumps were were uh, king and queen. Hand washing off the back of trucks before meals. We were we were doing that before it was the norm. So I want to give a special shout out. I know a lot of departments at Philmont were very stringent on cleanliness, and I also want to give a shout out to Nate um, <laughs> and, um, of the infirmary, uh, Nate Lay. I'll never forget having him join trainings and pop his head into our medical trainings, our first aid trainings and reminding departments and his colorful and awesome voice and language that washing, you know, putting Purell on your hands after you go to the bathroom is just Purelling poopy hands. You need to wash your hands. And that's all there is to it. Like washing is Paramount. Don't just Purell your dirty hands. And uh, I would say that chuckle got me through a few low points last year when I would be overlapping with people having various discussions about the height of hand washing and Purelling seemingly for the first time in their lives. But I'm really glad I learned how to wash my hands properly way back in the day at Philmont.
0: <laughs> oh, man. Um <laughs> We're going to listen I, to this
1: podcast in 10 years and be <laughs> like, why did she talk about Purell and hand washing so much? That so was a time. So <laughs> strange. Uh.
0: I, I love it. Um, just kind of speaking of other important people that you met out at Philmont, um, was there any special or long friendship um, that you want to comment on? Maybe someone that you would not have necessarily bonded with outside of Philmont?
1: Yeah, I would say the special um, relationships I had are still ones that are special to me today. I have a really great and strong group of female friends from Philmont, and that includes you. And I know sometimes that we're only through social media, but it still is so fun. I remember writing you and you um, had Jillian and you were you were charting that experience through pictures of her exploring nature and being curious. And I remember writing you and saying, it brings me so much joy to see you. You're teaching your, you're teaching your child as if you're an EE, you're teaching her experientially. She's learning experientially. And it was really cool to see that full circle. And I know so many great moms through Philmont and it's so great to keep up with how their children are doing. And the part on your Valentine's day show where, um, you and Meg and Allison, I think, were all there was an eye camp about, yeah. <laughs> kids, and it was so fun. I was like, yeah, I hope I'm around when they all work there too. You know, to live vicariously through their their parents' visits on the Fourth of July or whatever. Yes, um, yeah, yeah. So um, special relationships, and um, I have a great group of lady friends, a great group of strong lady friends, and uh, you know, working in education and as therapists and as teachers and as hydrologists and as nonprofit executive directors and as trail crew leaders and photographers and just I really want to give a special shout out because it's women's month as well, but I yeah, would do it regardless yeah. of what month we were interviewing. <laughs> and, um, just the, the trailblazers before us as well. You know, the women who went to the back country with the first positions who were in the ranger department with the first positions um, who were in every department and just breaking boundaries and moving beyond those to create new, new goal lines, new finish lines and, that's one of the things that brings me a lot of joy about being involved in the PSA is being able to have those conversations and meet people or meet people you've always heard about, but you've never sat down with before. And so, yeah, so I would, I would say my shout out overall is to all the relationships that I've been able to have and maintain the value of people who know, you know, keeping up with one another, even if it's only once or twice a year that it is, that bond that will hopefully not go away, you know, for those of us that are, um, are in in tune with keeping, keeping up with one another. yeah. And, uh, yeah. And my, my, my family, my brother working there was great and we overlapped with the one year. Um, but my mom, uh, my dad who has passed away as of a few years ago, but his favorite place, I would say (laughs) beyond his home, country of Australia was Philmont. I think my family would agree with that. He always referred to it as the high country. Uh, he, he also received all of my high countries when I was in the PSA. As I joined the PSA from early years, all my mail was sent to my full-time address, which was my parents' address for all those that decade of being a transient seasonal worker. Yeah. And so he would read my high country before I read it. And He always lovingly told me, give my regards to the high country, and he loved being out there. He loved meeting my friends. My mom did, too, and she still is able to keep up with my friends and um, follow them on Instagram or or tell me a story that she saw somebody post something about Philmont. And so, yeah, so I'm I'm sure my brother and my mom will listen to this episode. So I want to end that shout out with uh, much love to them.
0: Yeah. Thank you. I I want to transition a little bit into just what it is that you are doing now today, um, and just kind of what impact you're making in the world. I mean, you're making lots of impacts, but what you're doing, um, I guess, as as a career or or hobby or just something that is lighting you up and fu- fueling you these days.
1: Yeah. So um, I. In my free time outside of work, I stay involved with the PSA, and I also have a part-time job with Surfrider Foundation as a beach cleanups coordinator, so I'm really happy to be passionately involved in what I love to do, which is pick up other people's trash and get paid for it, so i got that job going for me still, uh, but it's really great to lead beach cleanups with groups and the public, and we're just starting to get back to that since lockdown last year, so Helping again that thread that was started at Philmont, getting getting folks to see what could be right in front of them and how they can make a small difference that leads up to a big difference if enough people do it. On my full-time job is with 1% for the planet, which is an environmental organization. We're a nonprofit. And we connect our our shortest tagline is we connect doers with dollars. So we Connect nonprofits, environmental nonprofits to be specific, with support directly from business and individual members who pledge their commitment to those environmental nonprofits. And it's called 1% for the Planet because it was envisioned from Yvonne Chenard of Patagonia and Craig Matthews of Blue Ribbon Flies. Cool. They decided, as business people, almost 20 years ago, it'll be our 20th anniversary next year, they decided that they were giving to the environment and they were giving to grassroots conservation groups and protections and water keepers, but they weren't doing enough. And so they decided to form 1% for the planet to be a commitment of 1% of annual revenues from a company. So it doesn't come from the profit margin, which is what some giving is at a corporate level, which is still great. All giving is great giving. But Yvonne and Craig and our our network of over 3,000, almost 4,000 business members now, we believe that 1% of that gross figure of what you make in a year, that revenue, that total sales figure, giving from that is more impactful and more meaningful. And so the business members get to choose through partnership advising that someone like me as an account manager provides, they get to choose nonprofits that matter for them, and the issue areas are important for them, and they give to geographic areas they want to support, they give to communities they want to uplift, they give to specific issues revolving around diversity and inclusion, and they get to really feel connected to where their dollar is going. And it all adds up. And so 1% doesn't seem like a lot, but as Yvonne and Craig said when they started it, some people won't have much to give at 1%, but others will have a lot. And if you're utilizing resources that come from the planet, and you're making money from that, then you should pay it forward and pay it back at the same time. So 1% for the planet is is really awesome. I'm really glad to have a position with them. Highly encourage people to check it out. There's individual memberships. And the cool thing about individual membership is that you can fulfill your own personal 1% pledge that's personal and custom to you, but you can fulfill it with volunteer work to approved nonprofits, you can give monetary support, or you can give your time. And so I think that it's a, a movement that is growing and growing more for the future. And it's such a great thing for my life to wake up and go to work and experience people who are eager to make an impact because of something they've experienced and. I can't think of another type of work that directly relates back to what people feel at Philmont too.
0: Yeah. I mean, I will say just like completely, honestly, I didn't know much about conservation or how to make an impact. It felt out of reach um, really until like I met you. (laughs) So I to me, like you are the face of conservation in my life. And, um, just to know that you're like carrying on with it, not only in like your professional career, but your, your side gigs, picking up the trash and and (laughs) gathering those people still and making, um, making you feel like, like you can see your impact. Cause sometimes it is hard. I think it's really cool that 1% for the planet has the geographical locations you can choose and, and just really like seeing it or being able to check it off your list. If you're a list person like me, um, that really brings it home. So I, yeah. I love, love that you're doing that. I appreciate, I always appreciate seeing that you're, you're still, um, just doing your passion because it makes other people like me, like jump on board and feel it too. So it's real, it's working. Thanks, Caitlin. I really appreciate yeah. that.
1: And uh, <laughs> yeah, and I think one of the greatest things about seeing your impact uh, related to that is that um, the best, one of the best parts about 1% for the planet is that it is becoming more and more of a recognized brand. And so you can see it, or you might have already bought things where you didn't notice it yet, but now you can look for it. The logo is a small. Planet with the one percent symbol in it, and it's on the back of packaging, many food and beverage packagings. um, You could go to a store and browse different things, like um, the section that has, you know, your kombucha drinks and your cold coffee, cold brew, and energy, you know, yerba mate energy type drinks. Look at those, and you'll begin to notice how many more brands are on. Are within 1% for the planet and have that logo added. And people can, you know, you can make a difference at that level as well. So I really love the work there because it is very inviting. And we are working hard to be as inclusive as possible and make sure that Black business owners can see themselves joining and that. The nonprofits we were working with and we have worked with for a long time are all over the world, but nonprofits who are doing work in communities who are on the front lines of negative effects of climate change and who don't just deal with a winter storm or bad weather once or twice that, you know, they live in a place and they have lack of resources and they've not been they've not been uh, prioritized for a long time by their government or by their local authorities. And so nonprofits are really in a space where they can be at the front lines and fight for people and fight for the environment because people's health is inextricably linked to the health of the environment. And I'm just so glad that beyond my job and beyond the work of, you know, Philmont conservation department, beyond all of it, it's, such a bigger conversation just within the last couple of years of how, what environmental justice is, and how it affect deeply affects every single person, no matter where you live or where you think your impact is or isn't reaching. Um, the trash that we find on the beach is isn't just from Costa Mesa or Newport Beach or LA; it's from rivers that are traveling from inland. It's coming down from a mountain stream. It's a balloon that gets let loose in the middle of the states and (laughs) floats its way in the atmosphere all the way out before settling in a body of water and then flowing from there. So yeah, we we all do have a touch point on each other's and strangers' lives all around the world. So I'm grateful to do that kind of work.
0: I'm grateful that you're doing it. And we are all connected. Um, and things like this always like brighten my mood when I, if I get down on like, Oh man, you know, the future, but in this, in this regard, like it, the future's bright. So, um, awesome. Awesome. I, uh, um, just kind of, as we wrap up, gosh, it's almost already been an hour. Um, <laughs> do you want to share, um, any more, like a- another Philmont story or two, or just something you're excited for for Philmont's future um, before we do nominations?
1: Oh, um, I put an answer down for your question about um, the seemingly mundane Philmont things that you miss, or what do I miss from yeah, Philmont staffer. Yeah, Yeah, and I couldn't, I wouldn't say this is necessarily a mundane one, but it is one that's, that stuck out to me in the later years that I was um, directing the uh environmental education programs. And so getting to work with the participants and the instructors that were leading the TCT, the Trail Crew Trek and Rocks, Roving Outdoor Conservation School, and STEM Trek, um, going to Sunrise Chapel with crews um before they left base because they would get up the morning, they were leaving base, have their breakfast, pack their bags, get on a bus and, you know, go straight to their location where they were going to start. Um And so with that, um, the coordinators I worked with, we all took to, you just got to lean into being being an early riser when you join the conservation department. And if you're not into it, there's going to be a conservation, there's going to be a chainsaw and all cons to get you there or make you in a... A bad mood for the first few minutes. Um, so that sunrise chapel with crews and base camp, we would go down to the Protestant chapel. Beautiful location, of course. You could always see the deer, and sometimes um, livestock were around those fences. There, um, we had a lot of services with Rabbi Todd, and we also had other. Um, chaplains as well, who were willing to join us at that hour. But we would meet the chaplain at the conservation office, get in some coffee, get ourselves some coffee, go down to the chapel where the crew and the instructors were already waiting. And we would have a short but meaningful delivery of words of wisdom to these sleepy teenagers and grateful but sleepy educators. And then on the flip side, after visiting through the trail or dropping things off or joining them for work projects, joining them and delivering lessons was always a fun part of our job as uh, leadership for those programs. Then they'd return and we'd have a banquet with them. And so again, like my banquet days were always with me in Philmont and I'm so g- glad for them because I wasn't making the food anymore. We had Joey's incredible team, Derek and Molly, I loved working with all of them as well. Um, to come to the banquet. And uh, the banquet was always chicken fajitas and it had to be. And uh, we would deliver some more sage advice to these chatterbox and hungry teenagers who were seemingly changed people, but really they'd just come out of their shells since being on the trail together. And then the flip of the sleepy instructors. So the instructors were ready to go and nervous at the beginning and the sunrise before the trail. And at the end, they were content and had gone through things and had grown themselves and were still going to reflect with us through final evaluations on how everything went. Um, but these times where you got to hear from the youth tell their side of the track at the banquets, um, usually Mark Anderson was present. Uh, and other people we would invite as well if they had an overlapping moment with the trail, or maybe they knew somebody who was a youth in the crew, or maybe we have people from other staff uh, departments join us because they're sister or brother were on the trek. And so they'd ask to come to the banquet. And of course, we'd say yes. Um, so to see their personalities come out when they tell their stories. And then there was always that moment following, probably just used to it from my Rayado Trek days of Mark Anderson's sitting right there and you're telling a story as a youth about something that, like, you're giving the ixnay, like, don't talk about that. That's not what we share at Banquets. Um, But it was all in good faith. And those are special times. Uh, Mark was very, um, very passionate for the individual track programs. And I learned so much under his leadership. And he really is still a mentor to this day and really glad to stay connected with him and share books together and work on conservation committee planning things together. Um, But one thing that sticks out is, is a quote from those sessions that Robert Fudge brought with him and gave the department. I think it's out of the many things Robert Fudge has given the conservation department. I know that this quote has lasted through a lot of times and places and it's one that was shared to him at a council camp, and it is the only difference between a sunrise and a sunset is what happens next, and that has always stuck with me through those sunrise chapel sessions to the banquets at the end, and usually happening at or right after sunset during those um, periods of evenings in the summer, and uh, it really is was just so meaningful always to spend that time rushing around and maybe the trek didn't go according to plan or maybe unfortunately in the worst case scenario somebody had to leave the trail because they were sick or injured and it was timing that they couldn't it wasn't just the day before the banquet it was you know the week before so they couldn't actually stay and see their see their trail mates before they left the ranch Um, but for the most part it was joyful experience and talking about youth earlier and what's to come I have a lot of hope always because of that time and my current time, even working with kids who come to beach cleanups and they just see the world in a different perspective because of the technology that's in their life and because of the relationships they have. And I'm very hopeful about what's to come for our planet's health and for us as humans and for um, just everything all together. So that was one thing I wanted to give a special nod to is Chicken Fajitas, Sunrises and Sunsets, Rubber Fudge, Mark Anderson.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's Um, beautiful. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Are there any other, I mean, shout outs or nominations that you'd like, who would you like to hear from or um, interviewed on the show?
1: So two people in my life since Philmont and during Philmont that I had some really great laughs with, really... It's people I can hear their laugh in my head, whether or not we're talking or um, being in touch. And uh, they helped me a lot through last year of 2020 being hard in a lot of ways. And that's Stephen Alexander and Justin Vergara. Just very much want to give my appreciation and love publicly to those two gentlemen, because they mean a lot to me and they mean a lot to a lot of people at Philmont. And I think that's very telling about The kind of people that can come together and find one another and have a really great lifetime of memories to come together. So I hope to see you, Justin and Steven, this summer. When I think of lasting Philmont friendship, I think of Judd Walker. We became friends in 2004 and we became close during reato training as Rangers and then through the Enduring entirety of Rayato, even though we didn't see each other very much. Um, I think that was the rainiest season of Rayato possibly ever on the books. It rained for about 20 days total out of the 21-day trek and the four days of ranger training. So uh, it was something that bonded us together. I think uh, just the laughs that we had, we still referenced jokes we made on that very first training trek when we were hanging out together. And Judd is someone who has been in my life ever since. We've spent more time as long distance friends than we've ever been in person together. And he's just a very great friend who we can always pick right back up where we left off. And he's gone on, he spent a few years working at Philmont, I think four total. And he went on from Philmont and made huge impact in Outward Bound and now works at the higher ed level for university programming. So one of my uh, ride or die Philmont friends for sure and definitely want to give that special shout out to Judd Walker
0: thank you Sarah um someone you can bond with like in the rain that's a special person so thank you for sharing that
1: yeah oh my gosh so many shout outs um Mike Crockett is one of my greatest friends and we came together at the conservation department the first time I ever met Mike was over the phone and I wasn't working there I did sustainability in 2010 and 2011. And Mike came to the ranch and did the position in 2012. And somehow he and I ended up on the phone together. And I wasn't even at Philmont that summer, but I was talking to this guy and, and he's, he's been the same ever since. It was this totally funny phone call, riveting conversation, just stories about trying to get styrofoam out of the food services and dining halls for good. And, and, telling me about the recycling trailer that was broken and shoddy, just like it was when I left it, you know, didn't, didn't <laughs> handle the roads. Well, um, and, uh, yeah. And now I get the pleasure of, of staying in touch and working with Mike on our, most, our, our biggest, um, planning effort besides, having our regular friendship calls, which we still have, is uh, to work on this conservation 50th uh, anniversary, the 50th anniversary of the conservation department at Philmont, which is the PSA summer reunion um, celebration this year. Yeah. So in addition to Mike on that committee, there's so many more great folks and they're really, really encourage people to get involved with the PSA and onto committees for planning things because, you're hanging out with your friends on a zoom call every month. That's what it's been like for me. And we've gotten some great work done in the midst. Yeah, so yeah. Um, shout out to the rest of the conservation 50th reunion planning folks. Um, besides Mike Crockett, we've got Mike Sudmeyer, Phil Weingartner, Randa Bob Birkby, Ryan Hawk, Robert Fudge, uh, recently joined us Ted Wyland, and, Dave Keneke, Lee Hughes representing the ranch. And, um, we also have Mary Price and, um, yeah, that's everybody. And then, um, Lila Puckett Murphy and Anna Thorne, we, uh, had their help at the beginning of reunion planning and definitely grateful to their work as well. And, awesome. uh, Brian Delaney is the VP of all service in the PSA, so he's a great friend as well. And we spent many a good time together when he had his early season um, coming out to help Mark Anderson with projects right near the beginning of opening staff banquet time. So I uh, always love working with Brian and I can credit Brian actually for helping to nudge me to get more involved with the PSA, which is what one of my final shout outs is about is for folks to really dive in and, and see how you can help out. You know, it's a great way to volunteer your time. It's a great way to give back to the place that's given us so much. You can join a committee. Any, any PSA member can join a committee. Um, we've got the scholarship committee, which I've worked on and, and chair now for a number of years that's really full circle for me to be able to have received scholarships from the PSA committee when I was a youth and now to have, you know, to be working with people to help award those youth scholarships and those staff scholarships at the end of a year too. And um, yeah, we would love to see you out this summer. I am making my personal plans as well and hoping I get uh, to the reunion in some form or fashion, but we'll always, you know, have these continuing PSA treks, fall PSA treks. I'd love to do one of those one year. That's on my bucket list for sure. Me too. Um, me fall too, yeah. autumn adventure. Yeah, summer reunions will always be around. And and don't be afraid to organize things regionally and really reach out to folks. You know, we're all good at getting together with the people we know, but reach beyond that next time and try to find some more folks around you who'd be willing to travel and bring them into the fold. And yeah, ask them where they worked, but also ask them other questions too.
0: Yeah. I remember one of my first experiences with the PSA was a regional reunion when we were living in North Carolina for a stint, Jimmy and I, uh-huh. and it was really fun. I'm like, I'm just, this memory is, like flooding back to me, but it was a bunch of old timers. And I just <laughs> remembered all, I loved it. I'm going to have to look back in my journals and see if there's more details on that. But, um, absolutely. The PSA, does wonderful things and is always really, really encouraging and uplifting to be a part of. So, thank you for the work yeah. you do for
1: them and um, with them. You know, there's um, many things we can look forward to for Philmont. And uh, oh, and I did want to add a nomination. Um, I, of course, as my love on this show has prevailed for science and all topics related to science communication and just environmental education and connecting with people who have a shared love about where they are and you don't have to be a studious and PhD and top-notch scientist to love a place and to care about what's best for it. And so I would love to nominate people that I think have already been nominated, but, um, to get some science topics going, maybe a cool roundtable, um, geology power hour, obviously Jimmy could, could be great at that. My brother would love to be involved and, um, like a forestry, Forestry throwdown with Zach Seeger, the ranch's first full-time forester, and uh, Mary Stuver, of course, who designed and champions that volunteer forestry program um, in so many ways that adds so much value to youth and to staff's summers. And, um, you know, there's watershed science. There's how are things affected by the fires. There's, there's just so many interesting things about the science of Philmont you know, how much number and total things regarding food packing do we do every year? You know, tens of thousands of things distributed. Um, how How does all the technology and logistics come together to handle that? What's our motor pool doing to reuse old motor oil and heat their shop in the winters? These are things that I just had the tip of the iceberg on to learn about when I was working with STEM education programs. But that program and the foundations of it I remember Mark Anderson at the time he was coaching me and explaining it to me that really wanted it to be something that could reach kids and adults too and staff as well. But kids being there and understanding that that was their passion and they could see themselves doing jobs in the STEM field. They could see themselves understanding that being a forester included doing math and walking around and measuring trees and Just building that confidence overall because STEM education in the world is really just about helping people of any age see what their potential is about how to stay curious about the world. So those would be my parting thoughts is for people to stay curious about Philmont, get involved, and uh, let that curiosity and that excitement to be involved lead you to your next great connections with people.
0: Thank you. I love it. Um, I guess that wraps it up. Unless there's anything else you want to share. I know sometimes I ask about memorabilia or your 11th essential, but you left us with (laughs) a really beautiful ending there. So if you want to (laughs) just call it good, we can. It's up to you.
1: I would add that I have some great memorabilia um, from friends at the ranch, definitely photos and staff staff silly photos framed and friends on days off time. My Ansel Adams print, Thunderstorm Over the Great Plains, has always been special to me. I had it framed in, in my first office I ever had beyond Philmont and still have it framed at home. Um, artwork by Dawn Chandler gifted to me by a friend. Um, artwork by Taylor Riedel. She made a great, makes great woodworking items and I have a great Zia uh, symbol um, on my wall from her. And yeah, just lots of memorabilia. Wearing my conservation vest right now. There's lots more great stuff out there too. So if you're low on your merchandise for the PSA, check out the um, check out the online store and the Tooth of Trade Tooth of Time Traders. Their website recently got upgraded, and yeah, that's nice. pretty amazing too. It's always yeah. awesome to see all the things that are changing um, related to. Yeah, I don't even think there was an online store when I first started working there, but what that store has become and what it represents to that whole region of where people can get supplies and get excited to get outside is just really incredible. So
0: yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Awesome. 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 I can't thank you enough for spending your Saturday morning with me and um, just all the impact you have made continue to make. Um, I'm stoked to see where life takes you and I'm excited and grateful to
1: be along for the ride. Thanks, Caitlin. I really appreciate your time and your energy on this project, too. It means a lot to so many people. So I know it's only going to keep growing its audience. And I can't wait to keep following along and listen to all the exciting things that people have to share. It's a great thing to be included with. And I really value it. So thank you.
0: Thank you so much. Well, we'll hope
1: to see you soon. Thank you, Sarah. Okay. Thanks, Caitlin. Bye bye. Bye.